Well, good morning, Pillar Church. My name is Kanan Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. And as always, it's a joy to be able to open God's word with you. This morning, we're going to be considering Acts chapter 20 as we start a short three-part series entitled Spirit-Empowered Legacy. Last Sunday, we talked about spirit-empowered endurance and the need to endure. Well, for the next three Sundays, we're going to talk about spirit-empowered legacy. And we're going to look at that from Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 38. This morning, we're just going to consider the first few verses, but go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's Word. While you're turning there in your copy of God's Word, I just want you to know that the vision here at Pillar Church is to lead you closer to Jesus and each other. That's our aim. We want to lead you closer to Jesus and each other. Every message, the point is to get you closer to Jesus and hopefully, inevitably, it'll lead you closer to each other. While you're turning to Acts chapter 20, I just want to tell you a little bit of what goes on at my house. In my house, I like to take my kids and put them on to shows that I used to watch and my wife used to watch when we were children. I remember this one particular time, my kids were sitting over there on the couch and they were watching some whack cartoon. I don't even remember what it was, but it was whack. And I asked them like, y'all ever watch X-Men? What y'all know about X-Men? And they were like, what's that? So I turned on X-Men and oh my word, they lit up, they loved X-Men. My kids for the next several days are running around the house being different X-Men, saving their dolls from near death. And I said, okay, if y'all like X-Men, let me put y'all on to Ninja Turtles. And of course, my personal favorite, Michelangelo. And so we're jumping around the house, acting like the Ninja Turtles for the next couple of days. I'm Michelangelo, Diana Splinter, and, and Maya wants to be Raphael, Sarai wants to be Leonardo, Melina just wants to hit people with pillows. It's great. We're enjoying it, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, man, they like these old school cartoons more than the new stuff. And so I put them on to the, to the Magic School Bus, the original Magic School Bus, and they were blown away. I mean, Maya can't get enough of when the bus shrinks and they go into the human body. I mean, she absolutely loves when the bus shrinks and goes into the human body. I put them on to the original Power Rangers and they love the original Power Rangers. Still watch it to this day. And I put them on to Family Matters. And man, my kids probably watched every episode of Family Matters from season one to season five. They probably have seen every episode. But the one show that I put them on to before I put them on the Family Matters, before I put them on to most of those cartoons or most of those shows, I put them on to this one show and it stuck to their ribs. I mean, to this day, they come to us because we got the DVD set. They come to us and like, Daddy, Daddy, can we put on the Cosby show? They love the Cosby show. I love the Cosby show. The Cosby show is so inspirational because it portrays an educated black family where the father is a doctor and the mother is a lawyer. And as I watch the Cosby show, these parents are dealing with real life scenarios, real life issues, and they deal with it in a winsome way. Right. You're laughing. You're crying. You find yourself being swayed by the emotion of the show. The Cosby show was wholesome enough 
where we can sit down as a family and watch it. And I'm not in fear about what the actor or actress is going to say next, even in, in, in hairy situations. I can't say that about many modern day shows, but The Cosby Show was incredible. Bill Cosby himself has done amazing work in this generation. Bill Cosby inspired hundreds and maybe even thousands of young black men like me and young black women like my wife to pursue higher education. He encouraged us to, to aspire to be greater. To, to attain more, to go to school, to learn, to grow. In many ways, though I've never heard him say it, I've heard other people say it, it was almost like his message was that education was the great equalizer. And so go, go learn, go read books. I mean, that was the message I got from Bill Cosby. And then as I watched him move, I watched him do things, how he put black cartoons on the map, which y'all know about Fat Albert. Y'all don't know nothing about no Fat Albert. He helped put black cartoons on the map. Bill Cosby has done some amazing things in this generation. Now, most of you don't have to Google to know what's going on with Bill Cosby these days. Bill Cosby has been accused of doing some heinous, evil actions throughout his life. Uh, he's currently sitting, I, I believe he's in jail even as we speak. And as I look back and reflect on the life of Bill Cosby, one word comes to mind. And I hope it comes to mind for you. It's the word legacy. Legacy. Legacy is the fingerprint you leave on this world. Legacy is the mark that you leave on this world. Guys, you and me, Pillar Church, we are building a legacy right now. We're building a legacy in our community. We're building a legacy in our city, Fort Worth. We're building a legacy, hopefully in this state and, and, and in this country. And hopefully it's a positive legacy, but we are in the, in the midst of building legacy. Me as your pastor, I'm, I'm building legacy. Even now, we're all building a legacy. It doesn't matter if you're old or if you're young, you are building or have built Legacy. You've made a mark. You've made an impression on this world and on those around you. You know what's crazy about legacy? In particular, what's crazy about a good legacy is that it's generally a slow build, right? A good legacy is usually brick by brick. It's a slow build, but it's a fragile build. It's slow, but it's fragile. One bad decision, one really bad action could cause your whole legacy to come crashing down. When you think of the word legacy, you should understand that God utilizes legacy to move and shape the trajectory of the future. When I say the word, or when I say the name Moses, you think legacy. When I say Moses, you think legacy because you remember how God used, especially coming off of this this 15, this 17 part series of freedom from oppression, 15 part series, freedom from oppression in Exodus. You remember how God used Moses to free his people from oppression, from Egyptian oppression and how he led them into up in and through the Red Sea into the wilderness and many more stories after that. 
but he left a mark. He left a legacy. And from that point, uh, Moses's work in Egypt, leading them through in the plagues is one of the premier pointing, uh, one of the premier um, flags or, or, or one of the premier markers. That's the word. It's one of the premier markers of all of the texts. God always says, I'm the God who saved you out of Egypt, right? He, he constantly refers back to how God used Moses to redeem them from Egypt. When I say the name Martin Luther King Jr., you think legacy. You think legacy because God used him and used his contemporaries. That, that does, that's not minusing Malcolm X. That's not minusing none of, the, none of the contemporaries of that day. God utilized those men. And we are walking in the fruit of those men's legacies. We vote because of the fruit of the legacy of men like that. God utilizes legacy to move and shape the trajectory of the future. And this doesn't it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. If you're religious or you're non-religious, you are building, you are creating a legacy as we speak. And it's not just your verbal that creates legacy. Your physical actions also create legacy. People are not only listening to you, but most notably they're watching you and what they observe from you is uh, being built into the wall that is your legacy. Legacy tends to get really real on the heels of departure. Like when somebody's on their deathbed, that's when they start thinking about their legacy. What's what did I do in this world? What kind of a fingerprint did I leave on this world before I head off into the next world? Usually it's on our deathbed when we think about legacy, but it always happens as we depart one from another. When we separate from people whom we love, we think about what was the impact I had on that individual or what was the impact that that individual had on me. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 20. We're going to navigate it up and down. We're not going to go in a linear line through Acts chapter 20. So let's look at Acts chapter 20, verse 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's stop right there. What's happening? Paul is saying goodbye to his spiritual children. And he knows that he will never see these spiritual children again. He's leaving them most likely in his head, perhaps most likely for the last time. And this is an emotional goodbye. It says that he knelt down and that he prayed with them. And it says that they were crying and they were weeping. Can you imagine the scene? This is a group of men standing with their spiritual father, whom not only helped to, to bring them to the faith, but has reared them in their faith and grown them up in their faith. And now they know he is leaving to never return again, probably leaving to his death. And, and, and they're holding on to him. Paul, give me just a few more minutes in your presence. Just be around me just a little bit more. Paul, just, just let me just hold you a little bit longer as they accompany him to the ship. They don't want him to go. This is a, an emotional 
moment that we see here in this particular text. This is an emotional moment. But before Paul leaves, he reaccounts his, the legacy he left with those people, in particular, the elders from the city of Ephesus. Look again, Acts chapter 20, this time at verse 17 through 19. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, they said to him, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. This is the beginning of Paul highlighting his legacy as a suffering servant. Who is Paul to them? Paul is their spiritual father. Paul is the one who, whom these elders look up to. Paul is the spiritual beast, so to speak, in the group. You ever hear them say that about Paul? Man, Paul's a beast. Yet Paul describes his time there with words that usually don't coincide with beastliness. He highlights his humility. He highlights his tears. He highlights his trials. Are those the experiences of a beast? Humility, tears, trials? What's Paul doing? Paul is doing a few things here. One, he's reminding them that a true beast in the faith is a humble beast. A true beast in the faith is a humble beast. He's reminding them that true strength is found in what the world deems as a weakness. Paul is reminding them that true strength is often found in what the world deems as weakness. We need to reform what it means to be strong, what it means to be beastly. Notice I didn't say redefine what it means to be strong and be beastly. I said reform it. We need to redeem it. We need to bring it back to whatever God originally designed for that word to mean. See, what sinful mankind likes to do is take God's words, take God's stuff, take God's symbols and, and, co and, and commandeer them for their own purposes. No, we want whatever God originally intended strength to mean. We want it to mean that. And I know that depending on the contents, the context, strength can mean various things know that. But for the purposes of this sermon, understand that strength is not measured by muscles and squat weight. That's not how we're measuring strength. We're not measuring strength by always getting away with what you want, even though some people measure strength that way. That's not strength. Being a beast isn't intellectual bullying or always winning an argument. Because it's funny, we tend to think that the most beastly among us when it comes to the spiritual are the people who are the most intellectually astute and able to argue their, their point um, the best or with, or with the most clarity or the most eloquence. It's not beastliness. That's not what it means to be strong. True strength, true strength is the power to endure. That's true strength. Colossians 1 verse 11. Be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? So that you may have great endurance and patience. 
Strength is being secure enough under Christ's love to be vulnerable. We see that right here in our passage in Acts chapter 20. Paul is being vulnerable. He's strong enough. He's man enough to be vulnerable. And should I say woman enough? Because women are just as strong as men there. To be vulnerable. Strength is returning love for hate. You hear that? You hear that? Strength, real strength, is returning love for hate. Matthew 5.44 But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That takes real strength. It's easy to hate those who hate you. It's easy to persecute those who persecute you. But what takes real strength is loving those who persecute you and praying for those who persecute you. Not praying for their demise, but praying for their good, praying for the renewing of their mind, praying for the redemption of their soul, praying for a complete 180 in their life. That takes strength. Strength is sacrificial, not always getting its way. A humble beast doesn't need to constantly flex to display its power. Did y'all know that a humble beast doesn't always got to be flexing to show its power. Constant flexing of one's connections, intellect and skills is the sign of insecurity. If you got to continuously show off what you got and who you know and, and your ability to think, talk and all this argumentation and all that, if you got to constantly flex all that, you're probably insecure. And you need and you wrestle with the approval of man. You need some person to approve of you. And so you flex. You show what you got, hoping that somebody will take notice of you. That's insecurity. True strength doesn't have to intimidate. The reality is we flex, we bully, we hate and we hide our, 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 our true state. We're not vulnerable because we're actually weak, we're fragile and we're afraid. That's why we hide these things, because we're weak, we're fragile, and we're afraid. Pillar Church, it's time to reform manhood and womanhood from a biblical worldview. It's time to reform race, culture, and justice from a biblical worldview. And it's time to reform strength and weakness from a biblical worldview. Because if we don't, we will be complicit with the miseducation of an entire generation. If we don't reform what it means to be strong. We are being complicit in the miseducation of an entire generation. We got to bring it back to what God said. Oftentimes what the world sees as weakness, God sees it as strength. I wish someone would tell that young boy that you that was made famous on Instagram for talking about he ain't got no weaknesses, all strength, all day. I wish somebody would tell that boy, sit down, bro. You eight, you eight years old, dog. You eight years old, dog. You don't have to front no more. You don't have to listen to those who are puffing up your head anymore about having to be strong at all times. The reality is, ain't nobody but God strong at all times. There's weakness in you. There's weakness in us. There are problems with us. Instead of saying you have no weakness, how about you know your weakness so that then you can grow as a man and leave a legacy that doesn't depend on false notions of strength. Your strength will fail you one day. Your pride will betray you one day. Your glory will fade day by day. 
but in the economy of God, we can ascribe everlasting glory to the one who has real eternal power. Know this, God gets maximum glory in the display of our weakness. And it's okay to admit that we're weak. I don't want to be weak and I don't want you to be weak. But we can't front and act like we're not. We got to be who we are if we're ever going to grow into something that we aspire to be. If you constantly think that you're something that you're not, then you're starting at a false starting line, which means you'll never have actual growth and progress. You think you're here, but you're really here. And so you're applying principles as if you're here, but those principles only apply here, but you're really here. So those principles don't apply to you. Those growth tactics don't apply to you. You can't bench press that much weight in the spiritual, so to speak, because you haven't. If you can't do 135, you surely can't do 185. You got to start with a, a true, honest evaluation of where you are. And if you are weak, then you are weak. If you are hurting, then you are hurting. If you are broken, then you are broken. If you are struggling, then you are struggling. It starts with confessing the reality of your state. And God gets glory using broken, weak, suffering people like you and me. He gets glory in using us because when something amazing happens and um, when something amazing happens in the midst of a broken vessel or it comes from a broken. I mean, Moses. Moses was as broken of a vessel as you can be. Did you saw the, the wrestling match between God and Moses? Moses had excuse after excuse after excuse. Moses was a murderer. Moses was 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 disobedient to God on several occasions. Moses was not competent to lead in certain respects, even though he was qualified to lead in many others. But God used a stuttering murderer to to free his people from a reigning dictator with the resources of all the world at his fingertips. Come on. God gets glory in using the weak. Second Corinthians 12, verse 9 through 10. God is schooling the Apostle Paul when he tells him this. God tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul responds in this way. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. I got to repeat that section because you got to hear that section. The power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that he's going to boast for this reason so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There goes your beast, ladies and gentlemen. There goes your monster in the faith, ladies and gentlemen. He's weak. He's content with insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, because when he is weak, he realized he is strong. Why? Because the power of Christ rests upon him. Paul wasn't a beast because of his intellectual because he was an intellectual powerhouse. Paul was a beast because he was unashamed of being dependent on a powerful God. That's beastliness to be unashamed, to be dependent on a powerful God.
Paul was a broken man leading broken men. And the quicker we acknowledge that reality of brokenness, the sooner we can encounter the power of God unto salvation and stop playing these games of I'm okay and you're okay, because that's the game we tend to play. It's the game we tend to play. Barring the last few months, okay? Barring the last few months, most of your Instagram and Facebook feeds is full of nothing but happy good times, happy-go-lucky, butterflies and lollipops. That's all y'all talk about. That's all we talk about on social media. But the reality is, if I was to look at your life on a daily, there's way more suffering and anguish, pain and anxiety. There's way more weakness in your life than there are those things that we see on social media. And here's the problem. We look at your feed and we look, and it looks like all you ever experience is joy. You're only, you're only strong all the time. There's never an issue in your life. You're enjoying the beach. You're enjoying your birthday. And so what does that do to me? As I see you living out these things, it causes me to think, well, what's wrong with me? Because obviously all of these people are having a great time and they're never suffering. There's never an issue with them. There must be something wrong with me. No, there's something wrong with the system. The idea that this um, platform is portraying something that is not true. And I'm not saying you're doing it on purpose. I'm saying this is the reality of what we see. Because all of you, all of us have scrolled Instagram and seen the body that we want and we think there's something wrong with us when the reality is normal bodies look more like you and me than they do 17 pack abs. That's just the reality. That's, it's, it's more of a norm. But we've redefined the norm. We've changed the norm. Just like we changed the definition of strength. We've changed the definition of weakness. The things that the world deem as strong we're starting to deem it strong too. And the things the world say are weak, we're starting to agree that it's weak. And it's not. It's not. God uses the weak and he empowers them with his power that they do things that only the mighty can do. And when I say the mighty, I mean the almighty. Life is not always okay and it's okay to admit that. You mess up, you get discouraged, you get tired, you get hurt, you're human, you need strength and you need the power of God to rest upon you. I love that verse. Pray to that end. Read to that end. You want the power of God to rest on you. For we have a savior who is able to sympathize with us so we can cry out to him, help. Hebrews 4.15. Talk to him. Cry out to him. Let it all out on him. He sees through the facade anyway. Be desperate for God's presence like a drowning man is desperate for air. Okay, be desperate for God's presence like a drowning man is desperate for air. God we need you. I need you, Lord. I need your presence in my life. I need it right, even right now as I record this message for people to watch. I need your presence. We need your presence, God. We're struggling. I'm tired. Our family is in need of you. Father, we argue, we fight, we, we bicker. Sin is having its way in certain times of the day in my home. Lord, redeem us, save us, help us. Be desperate for him. Ask him. Cling to him. Beg him. Get on your knees and show him, Lord, I need you. I need you. That ain't weak. That's appealing to true strength. It's stronger to admit that you need 
It's, you're stronger when you admit your need for true strength. Let his strength carry you. His shoulders are broad and mighty. And I'm talking about Jesus' strength and Jesus' shoulders. They're strong, they're broad, and they're mighty. Yet even though they're broad and mighty, they were burdened with grief and sorrows, weren't they? You notice how God is, is showing us that his shoulders are strong to bear, to bear burdens, but he himself was overridden with grief and burdens? He's, he's, he's putting pieces together for us. That's what, Paul is do- uh, that's what Paul is doing. God is putting pieces together. Listen to this. Through what the world would call weakness, Jesus demonstrated the greatest act of power that the world has ever seen. Through what the world would call weakness, Jesus demonstrated the greatest act of power the world has ever seen. His love through suffering brought healing and strength for all who trust in his name. I get this from Isaiah 53. It says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Jesus was despised and rejected by men. He is a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we're healed. By his wounds, we're healed. Jesus was crushed for the sins of many. He bore the wrath of God, the wrath that we deserved, and provided a way for mankind to be saved, to be healed. All we need to do is trust in his name. All we need to do is yield unto God. All we need to do is forsake all other gods and follow Jesus. That is what we need to do. Our sins on his shoulders. Jesus' legacy is a legacy of redemption. Jesus' legacy is a legacy of salvation. Think about it. Jesus is known for his suffering. The world would say that he was probably weak in that. But his suffering brought about salvation for all who would believe. That's the very definition of power. In his suffering, he was powerful. Jesus is a true humble beast. Jesus gave his life for the ransom of many. And when it comes to the legacy you are living, are you perpetuating notions of false strength and weakness? When it comes to legacy you're leaving, do you, do you display the strength to love? Woo! Y'all hear that? When it comes to the legacy you're leaving, do you display the strength to love? Do you display the power to endure? Do you display vulnerability because you know you're secure under Christ? Are you leaving a legacy of sacrificial love and service unto the glory of God? Charles Spurgeon has a principle. He has a principle 
for fallen pastors. And I want to apply that principle to this reality. God redeems the legacy of those whose repentance is as notorious as their sin. God redeems the legacy of those whose repentance is as notorious as their sin. What I want to do is leave you with these four questions. And I want you, if you're in a small group or you're watching this husband and wife, or you're in a small group in somebody's home, I want you to seriously take some time, sit down and reflect on these four questions. I want you to think about these four questions as you consider the reality of the legacy that you're leaving. Here's the first question. They're all in the same vein, but but they're gonna hit a little different, I think. They're gonna hit a little different. When people say your name, what are they thinking about you? Okay, as far as you know, when somebody says your name, what thoughts run through their head? Second question. And and don't say, I don't care what they think. That's not the exercise. The exercise is to try to consider what they're thinking. Second question. When the history books write about you, what will they say? What will they say about you? Third one, if you're a parent, when your kids speak about you, how do they describe you? When your kids talk about you, how will they describe you? And here's the last one. When God looks upon you, what will he see? Paul reminds the Ephesian elders, of his legacy as a suffering servant. Take time to reflect on the legacy that you're building because next Sunday we'll look at Paul leaving a legacy as a preacher of truth, as a preacher of God's word. What kind of legacy are you leaving? Father, when I think about this word legacy, I often wonder what will be said about me when I'm long gone. I wonder who will get the glory for my life, me or you. I wonder what's the major theme of my life in the eyes of many because I self-deceive. I tell myself this is my legacy, but the reality is there will come a day when those will, when people will speak about me and they will speak about us And my job, my duty, my calling is that when they speak about me, they can't help but speak about you. And so, Lord, help me to not boast in any strength that I have, but to boast in my weakness so that the strength of God may be seen through the life of a feeble man such as myself. Lord, use me, use us to the glory of God in Jesus name. Amen.